Hello, and welcome to the Ringgold Band podcast series, Sustaining an American Music Tradition. My name is Cindy Miller-Rongst, president of the band, and with me is... Jim Seidel, the musical director of the Ringgold Band. We are going to continue uh, talking about Jim's tenure with the band. Jim, uh, recently we celebrated his 50 years with the band, 38 as a conductor, and we um, left off where in 1980 your mentor said it was time for you to take over the band as a conductor and you inherited the band you um unfortunately inherited you lost the rehearsal space and we talked we talked about that last last podcast but what i'd like to focus on uh today is what was the difference musically in the band when you took over in 1980 as to where it is now today well it's been a long evolution um First, I guess I have to look back that the amount of people was at probably the lowest it was during my entire tenure. How many people were in the uh, band? I mean, there would be rehearsals where there might be 12 to 15 people there. Oh, my goodness. So, And, you know, wow. today we're, we're, average, we're averaging over 50, so which, may, which allows you to do a whole lot more. But as I sit, uh, I've reflected on this many, many times, and I'm going to those rehearsals, and um, and again, it's it's when you're, I, I guess I was like 28 when I took this band over, and okay. you know, I guess it goes for everybody. When you're 28, you think you know pretty much, and it's every year I go to different conferences and go to different uh, rehearsals and watch different conductors and talk to different people, and, and I found out how stupid i really was <laughs> you, you 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 really don't know very much well but, i know i know that you were very busy you know you were you worked uh at exeter and and like did you spend hours preparing for each rehearsal then like you do now no and that, and that probably <laughs> is the biggest the biggest difference that's happened since i retired actively from exeter but during that whole time at exeter I was so blessed and so fortunate to have an administration that allowed me to be me. And I'm not sure that was always good, but it, <laughs> but it, but it, it did prove out very well for me personally and I think the program of Exeter. And what I mean by that is it gave me the opportunity and the first time what really opened my eyes to band music was when Keith Bryan invited me to go on my first tour with his new Sousa band. And to sit with people like uh, Fred Mills, who was the founder of the Canadian Brass Quintet, a world-renowned, and and play alongside of them. And Keith had a wealth of knowledge about Sousa that, you know, the band has a, that connection with Sousa that, you know, they say we killed him, but right. we didn't. <laughs> we didn't know. <laughs> but, uh, and I started to realize, you know, this is really important. And there's, th- that's when the importance came that this band has such a history and it needs to be preserved, but it needs to go forward at the same time. So I was always in charge of my school schedule. It, it was, I planned when concerts were gonna be, I planned events. The only thing I couldn't always plan was if they had a parent conference night on a Monday, which was very rare. Right. So my Monday nights became very, very sacred. And I think over the 50 years, I probably didn't miss maybe 15 Mondays, very, very, very few. Mm -hmm. 
And that continuity, I think, had a lot to do with it. But the preparation was always when I had a moment. Okay. It wasn't, Just a few minutes. Oh, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. It, it was like it, you had a whole list of activities to do there. My wife, when she listens, this is going to be upset with me because she thinks I procrastinate too much, and she probably <laughs> is correct. Uh, I probably would have had more time if I'd been a little better organized. But uh, I always made sure I knew what I wanted to do at the rehearsal. And, and in, a lot of times it was just going over uh, to get the so-called piece of music playable because we had, we had concerts coming up, especially in the summer months. The winter months, I did a lot of sight reading mm-hmm. where we just go in and sight read. And, and there were times where I sight read a score if I felt comfortable with the band. With the band, right. Bad idea. <laughs> Bad idea. Uh, but at the same time, it it made me think about why it was a bad idea. And I started to get away from that concept. But uh, as the membership grew again, I realized we had to be, we had to do different things. So I began to, do things at rehearsal that wasn't necessarily rehearsing a piece of music, but it was improving the quality of the band. Uh, or striving for that good band sound. The band That's what sound, I wanted to talk The right. band sound, the balance, the, uh, the ability to play three parts in a balanced way and, and deal with it because when you deal with, Ringgold is unique as a community band, like like the Allentown band and and uh, like the Dallas Brass. They're all they're like community bands, but they're a cut above what a normal community band is, from the the standpoint that they rehearse all year long, they do various types of concerts, and we play a great wide range of literature. So, but at the same time we're not paying these musicians to come to rehearsal every week. No. So there are times you walk in the door with a grant where I had a grand plan to do things, like I'm going to focus on the clarinet section and four of the 12 clarinets show up. And the, But at the same time, you might have nine trumpets. Now, that changes the dynamics, not only uh, volume-wise, but the whole dynamic rehearsal. And... I used to grumble about it, <laughs> but it wasn't going to change it. The grumbling didn't change it. It was like I had to learn how to deal with it. Right. And now it just seems commonplace. But really, now we have balanced sections virtually at every rehearsal, which which is tremendous, and I hope to see that continue in the future, and I'm sure it will. But uh, like I said, fitting it in, like if I had – 15 minutes at school where I was ready for my high school rehearsal. I always had the scores with me and I squeeze in here a little and squeeze in there and, and things like that. And thank God Gene Nubmanhauer was a great librarian. He would do things at the last minute and God bless him. I I didn't realize what a pain I was to him at times (laughs) because I think, Oh my God, I came across this piece. This would be good for, for Brickerville, let's say. Right. And Gene, can you get this out? And he go out, a half hour before rehearsal and throw it in the folders and 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 took care of my every wish like that because he knew I was really busy. When I retired from Exeter, everything changed. 
everything everything changed. The, the Ringgold Band became my full-time job. Uh, yes, I was teaching in Alvernia. I was part-time there. And even as a part-timer, I was there really two full days mm-hmm. at, at least. But the full days weren't, I wasn't teaching minute after minute. I had that hour or two during the day where I could sit down with scores and actually study them. I could listen to other people's examples. And, you know, I had the Keith Bryan experience of doing several tours with him. And then I had the the grand pleasure that probably turned the corner and opened my eyes was when I met Tim Foley, who just had recently retired from the United States Marine Band. And my first meeting to him was he came up to me. We were doing this mutual adult band camp where he was a director and I was the principal trumpet. And it was he was off the podium from the Marine Band about two months. And he agreed to do this knowing he was going to be retired. And he stood up front. And in his mind, these group of community musicians were his Marine Band. (laughs) And... You could look around at the faces of these people, and they're like, what's this guy trying to do? We can't. We're not the Marine Band. Right. And he came up to me and says, John Fleming, who was the director, says, I need to talk to you. And I'm thinking, well, he was like a god. The Marine Band was always something I cherished. And he said, how do you handle these people? I don't know what to do. (laughs) And that opened the door for a friendship of 12 years now. And along with that friendship grew, I asked him, could I study conducting with you? And after he said, no, why do you want to do this? And I told him why. Uh We came to an agreement how we would do this. And Uh so for the last 12 years, we've had phone conversations, email conversations, uh, lunches, discussing various things, how to develop the band, how to rehearse a piece, how to study a score. And it just changed the way I thought about music in such a profound way. And I I came to appreciate such the history of the band and those old pieces that the audience loves. And how do you, how do you make them come alive? And how do you, how do you make the musicians want to make it come alive? What do they have to, what do you have to do to inspire them? And I, I think I, at least I hope I have inspired them <laughs> well. because it, it, when, when that ensemble, it, it really isn't like it was 20 years ago for me of getting them to play a piece of music that, uh, a piece of music to get it through it so we could pr- play it for an audience that they'd like the highlights from the sound of music. Right, right. It was how can you make them visualize and relive the sound of music instead of just hearing the music? Now, I wanted the people to see that movie or if they saw the stage play, they could relive what took place because you could bring the depth of it out. There's no words when you're playing an instrumental piece, but what can you do to make their minds open to that? And the players have to do that. They have to, they have to absorb themselves in the music. And I know I've said a lot of things to hopefully make that happen. And, and I think the musicianship of the band has gone up tremendously. Well, it has. And speaking from somebody that has played under you through that, and now I, I came along, I only came along in um, 1989 after you had the band for quite a while, but I definitely noticed a difference um, when you started 
having these conversations with Tim Foley. And and I think one of the things that um, helps or the, um, helps to bring those images of the sound of music to the audience's minds is you instill in the band that every part that they play, whether it's third clarinet or first trumpet, is important. And in oh. and, and, and how you play it. You know, you can play four quarter notes like this, or you can play four quarter notes like this that are leading to something. And I, I, I do think sitting among, you know, sitting in the band that that has really been evident in these, in these last couple years. Well, in, in the years since you've studied with Tim Foley. Oh, it, it truly has. And it, it made me realize I didn't get the opportunity to play my trumpet as much as I would have loved to. Right. But I never put it away. Mm-hmm. And and now that I'm thinking that's what I kind of would like to do in the future for a little bit more, it's made me energized to do all the things that I've told everybody else or have encouraged. I don't want to say told. That I've encouraged. Right. You've encouraged. Uh, other people to do in my own personal playing. Right. And it, it's such a joy now. It is. Yeah. And I know you get um, frustrated because you, uh, in in teaching how to play in four quarter notes mm. and make them exciting and i know you tell me later oh my gosh i just keep saying the same things over and over and over you have to remember that we are a community band and they are not all musicians and and just the fact that they can do it at a rehearsal and maybe in the concert because they're really focused is such an achievement <laughs> you're right and and that's that and was getting a, them to think about it in a different way and and i could be, oh, honestly say for 20 years i never thought of them as community band members i just thought you know they they, they can play do these this. instruments and right. they should understand this right but they didn't have that training and and many of them didn't have that background many of them do there's a number that do mm-hmm. but we want to you know now i can look at them and i can say well this guy sold insurance his whole life but he plays really well right <laughs> but i need to help him learn to take his technical skills with his instrument or her and and hone them into a musical experience not just a technical experience i think one of the greatest terms i came up with was don't make it sound like you're in the practice room. Make it sound like you're creating something. Right. And and to those people who play well as as musicians, they're not professional musicians, but they that is something that I uh, I know they've never heard bef- before. You in in their previous bands. And and uh, as we wrap up this podcast, uh, one of the things that stuck with me didn't come from Tim Foley. It came from his uh, assistant at the Marine Band, Michelle Rockers, oh, yeah. who I had the pleasure of meeting and spending a good deal of time talking about conducting uh, as well. She said to me, I asked her one time, what's it like to stand in front of a community group like the Ringgold Band or, or these convention bands that she conducted as opposed to standing in front of the Marine Band? She said, it really is no different. The Marine Band needs a reminder also that they might play too loud at some point. Right. But they just need a reminder, and you don't tell them again. She said, it also helps that I have more stripes than many of them. (laughs) But she says, you tell tell people the same thing, but it's you're telling them in a different way, and you're going to have to realize you have to say it more often. Right. And that, that just changes your thinking. 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jim. We'll be talking um, more about how how you grew as a conductor and the changes in the Ringle Band in um, in a future podcast. But for now, please check out our concert schedule at www.ringleband.com. And this is Cindy Miller Angst and Jim Seidel. Till our next podcast. Thanks for listening.